in our lives to line up with what God says. So we looked at that last week about the place of the Word of God in our lives, that God has spoken and it changes everything. And we see that as an example in Josiah. But Josiah was the last good king. And there's going to be a downward trajectory from here. Uh, and you see Jeremiah here begins his earthly ministry, right, in the context of Josiah. So he becomes on the scene when Josiah is, is, is rocking and rolling. Revival's happening among the people of Judah. Things are going well. There's kind of a, a uh, renaissance of sorts because, listen, remember that the Assyrians were kind of the, the world power of that day. And they were coming in to to take captive the, the southern kingdom of Judah after they had already taken captive the northern kingdom. And we see that this is happening. But during Josiah's reign, listen, the Assyrians began to kind of fade out of power. But then the Babylonians began to rise up in power. And so the Babylonians are now kind of the superpower, the strong nation. And so now the Babylonians in 612, after they've um, destroyed Samaria, the capital city of Assyria, now the Babylonians are the threat. Before it was the Assyrians. Now we see the Babylonians are coming in um, into God's people and they're knocking on the door of Judah saying, we're going to come in and take you captive. And so we see Jedekiah, if you read in verse 3, uh, Jehoiakim and, Jed- and Jedekiah are the sons of Josiah. and They're wicked, wicked kings. And it's over the span of 40 years that Jeremiah is speaking. So he starts out with Josiah and he sees the, the, the decline and the decay of the people of Judah, and ultimately their demise over the 40 years that he is a prophet. And so if you read the book of Jeremiah, that Jedekiah and Jehoiakim are kings that kind of give Jeremiah a fit, if you will. They're very, very wicked kings. And so what I had the task to do, that's the cultural setting, that's the history of what we're talking about here with Jeremiah. But what I want to do this morning is preach the whole book of Jeremiah. And all God's people said, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, if, if you guess with us, what we've been doing is we have a reading plan. We're reading God's Word. Uh, we come in and try to preach a portion of that. And so over this next uh, few weeks and the last couple of weeks, we've been reading Jeremiah. So I, what I want to do is try to make sense of the book of Jeremiah. Because if you've been reading it, uh, you know it's difficult to read. Anybody's saying you know, Jeremiah is depressing? There's so many things going on. I just don't know what's happening. And so what I want to do is just try as best I can to kind of survey and get the snapshots. There's no way I can preach through the whole book. It's one of the longest books in the Old Testament. Um, but, there's, but I want us to get the picture. What's happening here in Jeremiah's life, in his message, in his ministry? And at the end, we want to pull out some principles to say what in the world does this mean for me? So you said, Derek, you're talking about all this culture and this history way back when, thousands and thousands of years ago. It just seems so far removed. So why are you walking through and telling me about this book? Well, it does mean something for us. It teaches us something about God and about ourselves. But as we walk through this, we've got to understand, this is one of the reasons why Jeremiah is so difficult to read. Is Jeremiah is written not chronologically. So you can't read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 and expect the events just to kind of go in order. It's not written like that. Uh, Jeremiah instead is more of a collection of sermons, of speeches, of narrative, of poetry. And so it's just kind of more topically arranged than it is chronologically arranged. So it's like, wait, that happened in this? It's not in order. So that can be confusing. And then also it's different genres. So, some, so sometimes Jeremiah is speaking as a poet. And then other times he's given history. And then other times he's writing uh, in, in fiction kind of work. And there's all these different kind of ways Jeremiah is writing. So there's not one way to interpret this. But as we read this, here's what I want us to think. 
Think like an autobiographical journal. So as we read this, read it as if Jeremiah is writing out in his journal all the things that he's experiencing with the people of Judah. The Bible's very honest and it's very raw. If you're a skeptic or you're a doubter or you're a seeker, you're not really a Christian, man, books like Jeremiah should really embolden your confidence in the Word of God because it's not about us and all that we can do. Jeremiah is being very honest about his faults and his doubts. He's being very honest about what's going on in the people around him. It is just a brutal, anguish-filled turmoil. And you get to see inside this man, the prophet Jeremiah, as he speaks to the people. So let's jump in and try to survey this book. So there's four main categories I want us to look at as we look at the book. Okay, y'all ready? Buckle up. No one's ready. I have two people smiling at me already. This is not good. All right. Jeremiah's call. I know it's heavy, but we've got to jump in. This is God's word. So let's do the work, okay? Do the work with me uh, to study the book of Jeremiah this morning. We'll begin reading again in verse 4 of chapter 1. First, we see Jeremiah's call to the ministry of the prophet. All right, let's read. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build up and to plant. All right, so you know I've got a lot to cover, so let's just jump in. Just a couple things we see from Jeremiah's call. Number one, we see the sovereign choice of God. There's ten times in these six verses that God is telling Jeremiah, it was I who knew you, it was I who formed you, it was I who set you apart for this task that I'm calling you to, it's going to be me who's going to deliver you, it's going to be me who gives you what to say, it's going to be me who protects you. Jeremiah, it's all about what I'm doing in the world, and I'm sovereign over your life, and this is the purpose to which you are called. You see that clearly, that it is God initiating the calling and the purpose of Jeremiah. This is not just something Jeremiah is walking into. As a matter of fact, you see his resistance to it. But God is saying, this is the purpose that I have for your life. That God's calling Jeremiah for a point in history to show off his glory. Uh, He's going to use his life to do it. So I know this is about Jeremiah. This is not something we can just directly apply to our lives. But the rest of the council of scripture would tell us, listen, that God has a purpose for you. He has a calling on your life. That you are created with a unique design, with a unique purpose uh, for the God's glory and for your joy. That your life matters. That you were created by God, you were created for God, and you were created to be used through Him to the ends of the earth. That your life matters. Your life matters. You're not just a, an accident. You're not just a collection of molecules together. You have purpose and you are designed by your Creator. We see that through Jeremiah, and I think by proxy we can apply that uh, to our lives 
today, but I want us to see the nature of Jeremiah's calling. So God's sovereignly choosing this man to do this purpose in the world, but notice what, kind of what God's calling him to do. First, his calling was centered on the proclamation of truth, not his preferences or opinions. That God says, I'm going to tell you what to speak. I'm putting my words in your mouth. Whatever I command you, you will say. So Jeremiah's not getting to go and just kind of do his best opinions and his best wishes. It is directly flowing from what God has said. And so as Christians, listen, we don't believe that everyone should become like us and everyone needs to be Southern Baptist and join a church. You know, that, that's not what we're about. As Christians, we believe that God has spoken. He's given us truth. And so I'm not up here to give what my opinions of how life is supposed to be lived. We believe that God has designed the world to work and has made that known. And so we are centered on the proclamation of truth, not our preferences and not our opinions. That was the calling of Jeremiah, and it's our calling today. Now, second, his calling was rooted in God's provision, not his abilities or his perseverance. So he says, God, I can't be your spokesman. Like, I'm a, I'm a young guy. I don't have the words to say. I, I can't do this. I, they're scary. They might kill me. This is kind of resistant. Your word is not cultural, culturally accepted. It's not politically correct. It, it, it kind of rubs against lives. And I can't do this. And what God says is don't be afraid of them. And don't be so focused on your inadequacies. Because listen, this is such a truth for us. God is not limited by our capacity. Let me say that again, because y'all are still asleep. God is not limited by our capacity. Amen. That is good news. You say, I'm, a, I'm so weak. I have such doubts. I can't even hardly do anything right. You're saying that God has purpose in my life? There's no way. And God's saying, don't be afraid of the calling that I've placed on you. Do not look at all of the inadequacies. For Jeremiah, it was, he was young. What's your excuse? What's my excuse? What do we lean in on and say, God, I'm not going to lean in to this calling that you've given me because. And God looks at us and says, it's rooted in so much more than who you are. It's rooted in who I am. This calling of God. It's a beautiful promise. But we've got to move on. His calling, listen, this is kind of rough. It promised persecution. But it also guaranteed God's presence. So he said, if you're going to go and actually live out this calling that I've placed on you, it's going to be rough. They're not going to listen to you. They're hard-hearted and they're stiff-necked and they're not going to rebel. They're going to rebel constantly. But Jeremiah, I'm going to be with you. I'll protect you. And so this was not an absence. This is not comfort. This is not your best life now. This is not some health, wealth, prosperity gospel. This is, if you're going to follow me, it will cost you something. It will cost you something. Are you willing to follow Jesus even if it puts you in situations that that's hard? If we get, get out of our, our agendas and our comfort zone, we see that in Jeremiah. And so what a beautiful, beautiful promise is. But I think so many of us need to hear this today. This is the calling of God in Jeremiah. Before we move on, it's the calling of God on our lives this morning. Is He's calling us to have a resolve for truth. He's calling us to be so rooted in leaning into the strength that God provides, not paralyzed by our weaknesses. And he's calling us to have a resolve, even if everything around us falters, and even if it begins to cost us our life. Will you follow? Will you follow? And just some encouragement to you this morning. 
is the Word of God empowered by the Spirit of God in you is enough to accomplish the mission of God. The Word of God, like do you believe that God has spoken and that this is sufficient to change lives? How many of you would say, I'm in change because this book got a hold of me or the God of this book got a hold of me? I'm not the same person. It has the power to change lives and to show us who God is and to transform us from the inside out. And that power is not in us and it's not in our programs. I'm so excited about all that's happening at 930. I'm so excited about our strategy. But listen, if God's power is not fueling that, it is in vain. But if he is, if God's spirit comes in and says, I will show you Christ. I will illuminate truth to you. I will empower you to do things that you can't do on your own. That's the Christian life. To be empowered by the spirit of God, trusting in the word of God. And that is enough to accomplish the mission of God. It is enough. Will you trust it? Will you jump in to God's calling in your life? Will you join his purposes in the world? We can live our lives for many different things, but that is something to build your life on. That is something to build your life on. But we're going to see specifically with Jeremiah's call. It's different than ours because he has purpose for the people of Judah. Notice his calling had two kind of facets to it. Number one, he's supposed to pluck up, break down, destroy, and overthrow. Okay, We see a lot of that in Jeremiah. And then he's also going to build up and plant. So here's what we mean by this. Here's the primary theme of the book of Jeremiah. We've got to wrestle with this. The primary theme of Jeremiah's message was the impending judgment of God on the nation of Judah, specifically from the invading Babylonians. We talked about them earlier. But also of a hope of a future restoration. That's kind of the theme of the book in a nutshell. Jeremiah's saying, judgment is coming through the Babylonians because of your sin. And so he's tearing down, he's plucking up, he's, he's doing all that God said he's going to do. He's destroying, he's overthrowing, but he's also simultaneously giving just some glimmers of hope of a future restoration. That yes, it's dark right now, but hope is coming. Hope is coming. That's the point of the book of Jeremiah's message, what's happening here in this book. So let me go through three parts of the book, all right? Let me just better buckle up. You thought that was a water fountain or water fountain? Fire hydrant is what I meant to say, Duke. Um, fire hydrant is like a little trickle of a water fountain. Uh, Judah's condemnation, part one. Chapter two, verse 12, the words will be on the screen. The first thing we see, so he's going to speak to the people of Judah, okay? The nation of God's people here. He's going to condemn them for their sin. Let me under- unpack why. Jeremiah 2, verse 12. First, their sin was a personal attack against God himself. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God's going to give a summary of why his judgment is coming on the people of Judah. It's they've abandoned God. So listen, you hear me say this a lot. Sin ultimately is a sin against God. It's not just bad behavior. It's not just um, breaking some rules that the church has given. Sin fundamentally is looking at your creator who loves you and saying, I don't want you. It is a rebellion against a person. It's very personal. It's what God says. He's like, you have forsaken me. You hear that word? It's almost like we were, so, we were promised together. We had a relationship, and you've walked away. 
So God's judgment is not coming because he's cranky or because he's having a bad day. His judgment is flowing from his righteousness and his character. And I wish I had time to unpack that. We just preached a sermon about a month ago about why the justice of God is a good thing. You should go back and listen to that. I invite you to listen because I don't have time to unpack that here. But God is, is, is broken hearted because they have attacked him personally. And they've, they've not just abandoned God, but notice what they've done. It's, it's twofold. They've went after cisterns that hold no water. It's this picture that God is this fountain of water that will satisfy the thirst of your heart. But they went after these broken wells that would never satisfy their souls. It's the nature of idolatry. It's the nature of sin. It can never fulfill us. So our rebellion against God is so foolish because we run away looking for life and we actually find death. And that's why he'll say the next kind of idea is uh, Jeremiah all throughout the book is going to unpack that idolatry is foolishness. So he's calling them out for their sin. Judgment is coming. But idolatry, to worship anything other than God with our lives is foolish. I want you to read this. This is such an indictment against false worship. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 3, the words will be on the screen. I'll be jumping around here. Some. It says, For the customs of the people are vanity, meaning it's empty. It's but a breath. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. Oh, you know, it's like he's talking trash. And they cannot speak. I love the Bible. I can't believe I just did that. Um, they have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. So he's like, you're worshiping this little piece of wood as your God, and you were the one that made it. How foolish is that? You're worshiping things it's in your image rather than me. That's why he keeps going in verse 6 and says, the contrast is, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? That's a good question. Who would not fear this God? Who would not want to worship him? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. I love this. They are both stupid and foolish the instruction of idols is but wood every man is stupid and without knowledge i told you this was rough every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his images are false and there's no breath in them they are worthless a work of delusion at the time of their punishment they shall perish here's the principle he's looking at the people and for them it was this little image that they made out of wood but for us it's a lot of other things and God's looking at, us, at you and saying really we're worshiping all these stuff we're looking to relationships and sex and career and money and power and comfort and people's approval to find worth we're worshiping so many things to, to be God to us and what God would say to us is that's just foolish like, it won't satisfy you. It's a well that will not, it will run dry. Everywhere you're looking other than God, it's just, if we really put it in that perspective and comparing that to Him, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Who, who would not fear you, oh God? Why would we worship these stupid things that have no breath, 
to speak to us. They have no heart to have affections toward us. They have no hands and feet to do anything for you. They are powerless. And that is the nature of our sin. Man, what a picture that is. So in all of that, so they're forsaking God, they're worshiping stupid little things that they've created, yet God shows grace. He shows grace. He shows mercy. And he says, if you will just repent, if you'll turn, if you'll come back to me, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. But they don't. They refuse to receive God's offer of forgiveness. In chapter 7, you see this indictment uh, again. So as I read this, there's a lot of scripture here. Okay, I know, Jeremiah, I'm preaching the whole book of Jeremiah. But listen, I want you to read this next passage with me, um, thinking along the lines, if God was saying that uh, directly to you. Because right, we can it so far removed. Think about if God was saying this to you this morning. Verse 5, the words will be on the screen. If you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, see the heart of God? Then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust Notice, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations. See that? They were worshiping other gods, but they come into the temple and try to, appease this God and then leave on Sunday if you will and live however they want to live verse 11 has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes behold I myself have seen it declares the Lord and now because you have done all these things declares the Lord and when I spoke to you notice persistently you did not listen and when I called you you did not answer therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you will trust in the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh and I will cast you out of my sight. Verse 18, 19 rather. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field, fruit of the ground it will burn and not be quenched but this command i gave them verse 23 obey my voice notice the heart of god and i will be your god and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that i command you that it may be well with you see him he's like i don't want to judge you i want you to to be well with you but they did not obey They did not incline their ear, but they walked in their own counsels, what they thought was best in their eyes, in the stubbornness of their evil hearts. And they went backward and not forward. Because of this continued rebellion, here's what God does. God determines to judge Judah because they've broken the covenant. I won't read it for the sake of time, but Jeremiah chapter 11 says that Judah, because they've gone after other gods to serve them, they've broken the covenant. Marriage, if you will, between them and God. And so this is not just broken like they disobeyed. So you've got to understand this. This is not just God kicking them out because they've done some bad things. This is, they've broken the covenant, meaning they've walked away from me. 
So therefore, I've got to, just, I've got to judge. I, the, the, the covenant is now annulled. So therefore, I will keep the covenant by cursing and punishing you. Because that is what you, you refuse to do anything else. And so the rest of the book, you just see this picture of God just continually saying those type of things to the people of Judah. So here's the part two. As we're seeing this indictment against the people of Judah, we see Jeremiah's heart in it. So the prophet of God, there's a few things that we see about him. Uh, first, we see that he weeps over Jerusalem. Okay, he weeps over Jerusalem. Here's chapter 4, verse 19. My anguish, he says, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent. For I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste and my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? He's weeping at his people. He's watching them decline. And ultimately he's hearing, as you will, the Babylonians coming in to take them captive. And he's just weeping over the condition of his people. He also doubts God. Anybody have trouble doubting God? I do at times. Chapter 15, verse 15. Notice Jeremiah's heart here. O Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on me, my, on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord. I did not sit in the company of the revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. So why is my pain unceasing? My wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? See what he's saying? God, I've tried to follow you. I've done everything that you've said. I've tried to keep your commandments i enjoy your commandments i've tried to live separate i've been alone all this these years and i've been having to do what you've told me to do and yet now like you don't seem to be coming through you say you're a fountain of living water but are you going to be like a deceitful brook i'm doing all this for you and where's you where are you coming through why am i still in pain there seems to be no end to my suffering what do i do then he gets so bad that he wishes he had never been born. I don't know if you've ever been there. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14 says, Cursed be the day which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you. Skip down. It says, why, verse 18, Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? He's like, what's the purpose of my life? If all I'm doing is experiencing this evil around me. Like, I don't want to live. It would been better if I'd never been born. See the anguish of this prophet? It's, it's woven throughout the book. And then lastly, he struggles with injustice in the world. So Jeremiah 12, 1 says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? It's a good question, isn't it? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? So he's looking around saying, I, as your man of God, trying to obey you, if suffering, I see your people hurting, the good guys are losing, if you will, and I look around me, and all the wicked people seem to be flourishing. Have you ever asked that question? Like, it's all throughout the Psalms, it's all throughout the Old Testament, the Bible is very honest, that Jeremiah is struggling with injustice in the world. 
I think it's timely for us today. I mean, I think so many of our hearts feel what he's feeling. But part three, so you have Judah's condemnation, Jeremiah's anguish and his suffering, and part three of the book, another theme that runs throughout is this hope of future restoration. Okay, this will be the end. We'll get some practical things, okay? So hope of future restoration. Let me listen to this promise. God heals all he has broken. This is happening in the same book, okay? Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. Notice, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. You say, what does that verse mean? It doesn't mean much to me. Here's what Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, that Jeremiah was supposed to be a picture of the judgment of God. And so he would do things, God told him to never marry, and that he was not allowed to go to parties, because he was supposed to be a, a tangible expression of sorrow and anguish and turmoil because of the judgment of God. That was his calling in life, okay? And that all throughout the book of Jeremiah, you see this thing with Judah that it's a sickness that's incurable. You see that they're going to be scattered to the ends of the earth with no place to go. He was told not to marry and not to party. But in this verse, God's going to reverse all of that. He says that there's going to be joyful singing, that the bride's going to come in. There's going to be a restoration of all things, that those who are scattered will be regathered. And the incurable sickness, listen, that we can't cure, God says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. So in the midst of all this darkness and this gloom and this doom and this destruction, there's just woven throughout the whole book. That's just one example of there's a hope of future restoration. This is not the end. One is coming who will fix all of this. And we get a glimpse of what that will look like in the new covenant. Okay, Jeremiah 31, this is a common verse. If you grew up in church, you probably heard this. But I want to read this in its entirety. Verse 31 of chapter 31. Jeremiah is going to prophesy of the new covenant, part of this restoration. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. He says, Remember, they've broken the old covenant, but there's going to be a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, both um, kingdoms there. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them up out of the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's the covenant with Moses, the law on Mount Sinai. My covenant, they broke. So they broke God's law, continued to break God's law, did not want to repent for breaking God's law. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. He was always faithful, even when they were faithless. Verse 33. For this is my covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. Man, I wish I had time to unpack this. But later on in the fall, when we get to the New Testament, we'll be talking about the New Covenant. We'll get there. But this is such a beautiful picture. that The Old Covenant, the law, here's all you're supposed to do, right? And what God's saying is that can never empower obedience. You can never do enough good to make yourself right with God. The law just shows you how much you need a Savior. The law is, the old covenant is broken. 
And Christ comes to fulfill the law. And what Jesus comes to do is to give a new covenant that the Bible says is written on your heart. That it's an internal transformation. It's no longer, here's this list of standards and obey. But what Jesus offers is this new covenant that's not like the first. That says, I will transform you from the inside out so where obedience is possible. It's possible. I'm going to change you that's the new covenant that jesus is promising so in the midst of all of this darkness and 600 years before jesus even comes onto the scene there's hope of a rescuer jesus there in jeremiah and lastly i won't read it for the sake of time but chapter 50 verse 3 is that these wicked people that are coming in to take them captive from the hand of god the babylonians god promises to avenge them so the last few chapters is not just an indictment against the people of judah but it's around all the nations that judgment is coming, that I will restore you. Even the people that are falsely hurting you, I will come in and wipe them out eventually. All right. Take a breath. Okay. I need a breath, so you don't, you don't need a breath. I do. That's the book of Jeremiah in a nutshell. There's so much that we could be unpacking, but you don't want to hear more, do you? So let's get to what it means for us. That, that's what the book is saying to us. This arc of sin and judgment and a prophet seeing that and weeping, but yet in the midst of that hope of a coming restoration. One is coming to fix all of this. So what in the world does this mean for us? So I'm going to give you just some principles that I hope will help us flowing out of the truth of Jeremiah. Here's the first one. We are in danger of spiritual deception. We're in danger of spiritual deception. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart, who we are, you as a person, is deceitful above all things. Deceitful. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? So our culture says, follow your heart. And the Bible says, don't follow your heart, because your heart will lead you astray. So we don't just listen to what our heart tells us. Listen, you don't just follow your emotions. You point your emotions. You direct your heart. Because if you trust our heart, your heart will lead you astray. Your heart is sinful. Your heart is not uh, the thoughts of God. We need our heart transformed. So we are in danger of spiritual deception. The Bible says that if anyone thinks that he stands, to take heed lest you fall. That pride goes before destruction and a puffed up spirit before a fall. That's true for all of us. We are in danger of spiritual deception. So I don't know what the Spirit of God wants to speak to you with that point, but I trust that He is. In what way is your heart deceived? I don't need to follow God. I'm just fine on my own. But I love you. That's a lie of the enemy. I can live this way and it's okay because I don't have to go God's way. I know what's best. It's deceptive. That if I, that I know what God says, but I don't want to do it. We can even deceive our hearts that we're more godly than we actually are. You say, I'm making disciples. Are you? Like, point me to people. Who, who, who are you making like a follower of Jesus today? We can deceive ourselves because we believe it in our heads that we're not actually living it out. You say, I believe that God is worth the glory of the nations and I'm going to share my faith. When's the last time we articulated the gospel and called for a response? We can say, I love this city, but when's the last time you engage someone who's not like you? I'm convicted by this. I I see this in my own life. Am I really making disciples? Are we really doing the things that God's called us to do? We can all deceive ourselves. Sin is deceptive. It makes us, lulls us to sleep to make us think that we're okay. You say, 
listen, if we never come to a place to where we're honest about where we are, we'll never move ahead. So you just, I've heard people all the time not want to study God's word, and we just think that we know everything that we need to know. We don't want to put ourselves in community. We don't need to study. And I'm just saying, you're never going to know God's word if we never get to a place to stop acting like we know it and come to a place and stop deceiving ourselves and actually put ourselves to say, I need others, I need you, God, and I'm not as good as I think I am. Every one of us is in the danger of being deceived spiritually. Sin is deceptive. So God, don't let us be deceived. The people of Judah were going into the house of God and thought they were safe. One verse in chapter 6 says they were saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. They told themselves that it was okay when it wasn't okay. So don't play games with God. and Don't play the church game. And that's not some turn or burn, doom or gloom. That's out of love and say God wants to restore. But if we never will get honest with one another, that first we need to get honest with ourselves. We need to get honest with God. You know what's what the word confession means? It's to agree with God about our sin. We confess our sin. It doesn't mean just list them off. It means I agree that they are what God says they are, and I'm not going to keep going down the path of darkness that will lead to destruction. I wish I could keep going there, but I can't. I'm going to move on. Uh, here's a second principle that I think we understand out of this book. Judgment must begin with us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So here's what the people of, of Judah could have done. God, why are you sending justice to us and everybody else around us is wicked too? And that, that was true. You see that in the end of the book that God is calling out all the other nations, but he begins with his people. In the context of chapter 17 there, he's talking about how suffering purifies the church. That judgment begins with us. So let us never, as religious people, I don't even have to use that word, as Jesus followers, ever become so arrogant and prideful that we point our finger at everybody else out there and say, you guys need to change. You guys need judgment. Let judgment come first to us. To really look at our lives and say, God, deal with us. Show us our sin. Purify us no matter what it costs. We're held to a higher standard. May we take that seriously. Be a people that pursues holiness. Third, our only hope for justice is God. And our only hope for mercy is God. But Jeremiah looks around and says, God, I want to see justice. Why is all this stuff happening around life? It's not fair. And God would say back to him, I am God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Justice is coming. We can trust that everything will be set right in the end. That's the only hope for justice. And we also see through the book of Jeremiah that our only hope for mercy is God. That if we're ever going to not have the wrath of God on us, it's going to be from the mercy that he shows us. So listen, everything that God does is for his glory in your life. Every bit of it. The stuff that looks like it's running amok around you, God is in control of all things, and he's using it for his glory. And the good things in your life, he's using it for his glory. So here's a statement that I think we see in the book of Jeremiah. God's ways can be hard. Some of the things he said, it's very hard for us to swallow. And some of the things that happen around us and happen to us and happen through us and in us, they can be hard. But God's purposes are good. 
Even when his ways are hard, you see him chastising his people and punishing them. But yet he's working that out for their good. It's for their, his glory. And you see that both are happening at the same time time that you have to have a category of the theology of suffering and injustice in the world that God is sovereign over those things and he's using it in your life so how do we live in that world to see that's happening here's one of the last statements we must view reality through the lens of already but not yet here's what I mean so Derek what in the world does that mean I'm trying to explain it to you you have to see some of the prophecy as being interpreted and being fulfilled near and far Okay, so some of the things this restoration happens soon. So in a couple hundred years, you're going to see that the people of Judah get to come back to their, to their land. So in that way, God restores them, but not fully. <laughs> then you see that when Jesus comes, he perfectly fulfills the new covenant and ordains the new covenant. And then that's not even full. It's already done. It's already, but it's not yet because eventually Jesus is going to come to make that full and whole and complete. Jesus says he's coming to make all things new. So some of the things in Jeremiah happened a couple hundred years after that. And it's in some ways it was fulfilled. In some ways it was never fulfilled until Jesus. And it was finally fulfilled in him. But now we live here. Jesus has come. We no longer look ahead to Jesus like they did. We see Jeremiah through the lens of the gospel, right? But now Jesus is here. And he has come. And he has done everything necessary for you to know God. All injustice has been settled. He has perfectly reconciled all things to himself through his blood on the cross. It is finished. Amen. But we look around and we see suffering. Why doesn't God do something about the injustice of the world? The answer is he has and he will. I know I'm righteous, right? Like He's made me righteous. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. I'm justified just as if I've never sinned. He's declared me righteous because he's given me his righteousness. I don't feel righteous. Anybody with me? Okay, I'm still struggling. I have the power of the Spirit of God in me, but yet I doubt and I'm all over the place most of my life. What's happening here? Like, I know God's purposes are good because I trust Him in the cross. I look and I know He's for me. And I know He's coming again to make all of this right. He's going to set it right. Do we believe that? He's coming again. But what do I do here in between the times? That's what I mean. We have to understand that we live in the already but the not yet. We are already righteous. But one day He's coming to remove us from the presence of sin. What a day that will be. He has entered into our suffering and he allows hope and restoration of all things all the evil of the world he has done something you say Derek I don't see it where's God at now and he's working through his church through his spirit and one day he will come and set all things right we have to live in that already but not yet we have to look back and understand that God you have worked and you have done this but it's not yet it will never be fully expressed here and I think you see that in the book of Jeremiah. He's promising all of this restoration that, listen, that generation died and never saw it. Never saw it. Jesus fulfills it, and one day that restoration will be fully known when he comes again and makes us new, the new Israel, the church. That's why Hebrews chapter 8, this is so beautiful, I've got to read it. Verse 6 says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old 
as the covenant that he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That's what Jesus does for us. He offers you something more than just religion. He has a whole new way of life that he's opened up for us in the gospel. We must live as sojourners. Listen, this world is not our home. We are citizens of another kingdom. And so we suffer, even like we see in Jeremiah, we see what's going on around us, and we say, God, where are you? And we see that he is doing something in the midst of all of the brokenness. We trust that because we look back to the cross and we look ahead to his soon return, that he will come and make all this new. So we wait for him. So how do we wait? And we'll close with this. I promise I will close with this. Here's the last statement. God's calling for our lives is faithfulness not success. So injustice is happening around us. Our sin is deceptive and we are fighting our sin. We see all of the, the word of God is hard to this culture that we live in. We, we seem like we're aliens and strangers and foreigners. In many ways we are because this world is not our home. We struggle with all of the stuff that's happening because we look ahead to a soon return. So what do we do in the meantime? Be faithful. Be faithful. That God is not calling you to success by the world's standards. He's calling you to do what he said. That's such a timely word for us in this church as we move ahead. That faith success is not the way we want to describe it to be. It is faithfulness. Are we doing what God has commanded us to do? If he chooses to bless us with tons of success from our vantage point, whatever that looks like for you, we will praise God. But what if he doesn't? What if we suffer? And what if we lose everything? Is faithfulness enough? Because if you don't say that, you've got to have some issues with Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah's ministry, he went 40 years in ministry. He only had two people respond positively to his message. Two. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. He was falsely accused as a traitor. Like, this guy is not, no one's lining up for his job description, okay? No one wants Jeremiah's ministry and calling, but yet, was he faithful? He was faithful. And God had told him that was going to be his ministry. And that, that is just such something to wrestle with. And here's what 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 2 says. Moreover, it is required of stewards. Meaning we don't own anything. God's given this to us. That they be found faithful. That's what's required of you. You say, I want to see things happen. I want my life to change. Your job is to be faithful. Are you obeying what God's called you to obey? Are you walking in that? Or are we seeking the approval of man or, or of God? Paul would say, now, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jeremiah was not concerned with people pleasing. He was concerned to be faithful to what God had called him to, even in the midst of great suffering. So if you bow your heads, close your eyes. This is a heavy word. It's a lot, I know, so much to try to cover in one Sunday. But the message is, uh, is true, it's timely for us. That God is calling us to himself and says, I'm doing something in this world that's so much bigger than you. I, I, I love you, I'm reconciling all things uh, to myself and I'm using you. But it might come at great cost to you. And so God's calling for us to say, how have we been deceived in sin? 
Where have you bought the lie of the deceitfulness of sin that this way is better? I'm going to ask us to ask God, Lord, show us our folly. Repent and turn to Him. If you don't know what that looks like, come talk to us. We would love to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, for, the, for some of us, we need to understand that we need to have a resolve to stand and live out the Word of God in this day, to, to be obedient and faithful to what He's called us to do. No matter what it may cost us, that we're going to be faithful to live in between the times. We look back and say, God, you have fulfilled this. You have restored us. You have reconciled all things. And one day you will come. And so we're going to live well in between. We're going to suffer if need be. We're going to do the work you called us to. It is rooted in your truth, not in our opinions. It's rooted in who you are, not in our abilities or our inabilities. And we trust you. We follow you. And as this song that we're about to sing, though you slay me, Still, I will trust you. Can you say that? God, even if you take everything away from me, I'm going to be faithful. I'm following you. And the beautiful thing is we can trust even in that, that we know that nothing is wasted. God is using everything in your life, the suffering, all your mistakes, all of your, your wrongdoing, everything that you look in and say, man, it's just, I'm ashamed of that. I don't understand this. He's taking it all. And he's working it out for your good and his glory. Nothing is wasted. And so we can just sit in a moment of response. This team's going to sing this song um, over us.